You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. German politicians, celebrities, and journalists have been doxxed by parties unknown. ESET describes the workings of Lojack's malware. Google ejects spyware-infested apps from the Play Store. ISIS returns online to inspire via some hijacked dormant Twitter accounts. Updates on the arrest of a dual U.S.-U.K. citizen on spying charges in Moscow. And some cutie pie followers sort of say they're sort of sorry for hacking Chromecasts. Sort of. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Friday, January 4th, 2019. A major story, and one that's curiously only just coming to light, is coming out of Germany. The BBC and other outlets are reporting that a very large doxing campaign has exposed sensitive personal information belonging to hundreds of German political figures. The campaign, which began quietly before Christmas and took the form of a satirical advent calendar, with doors open to reveal various items, released private communications, emails, contacts, phone numbers, memoranda, and financial information belonging to hundreds of politicians, including Chancellor Merkel and President Steinmeier. Most of the targets were politicians, but data belonging to some celebrities and journalists were also compromised and released. Germany's information security agency, the BSI, is investigating. The only political party apparently unaffected is the Alternative for Germany, generally described as far-right. Observers betting on forms suspect Russia's GRU, Fancy Bear, working with the aim of discrediting politics and civil society in Germany, but that's speculation on a priori probability. Security firm Proofpoint emailed us to say that they think the operation looks a lot like a Russian APT they've been tracking. Proofpoint's threat intelligence lead, Chris Dawson, said, quote, While actor attribution is notoriously difficult, early indications suggest that the Russian APT group Turla, also known as Snake, Venomous Bear, Waterbug, and Uroburos, is behind the German data breaches reported earlier today. Proofpoint researchers have seen Turla targeting German interests before, particularly leveraging a G20 summit on the digital economy that took place in Hamburg in October 2017. Other activity associated with this group has been well documented and stretched back to at least 2018. End quote. So that's an informed bet on form. 
There are no official details on attribution, and Twitter has taken down the accounts used to spread links to the documents. German Justice Minister Barley called the incident a serious attack and added that the people behind this want to damage confidence in our democracy and institutions. None of the material so far seems particularly discreditable or explosive, but there's a great deal of it, and the range of the doxing suggests that whoever was behind it worked at the caper in a long, focused effort. Speaking of Fancy Bear, researchers at security firm ESET have released details on Lojax, the UEFI rootkit the GRU has been using to compromise firmware and devices it's targeted for cyber espionage. There is, ESET says, good reason to believe that Lojax can be relatively easily thwarted. Vendors are now able to patch their devices, and enabling secure boot on vulnerable Windows devices should also prevent Lojax from running. There's another family of malware circulating in the Play Store. Researchers at Trend Micro have discovered a mob ST spy infestation in Google Play, where the spyware has been found lurking in otherwise innocent-appearing Android apps. More than 100,000 users may have been infected. The malware can eavesdrop on SMS conversations and read contact lists, files, and call logs. It reports the stolen data to its server via Firebase cloud messaging, it can also geolocate the device it's infected. Trend Micro says the spyware was first noticed in a game called Flappy Burr Dog. They subsequently found it in several other applications as well. Google has now removed the infected apps from the Play Store. ISIS has returned to the online world, seeking to inspire mass murder, mostly by automobile, in spaces crowded with unbelief, that is, public spaces where most of the people in any given crowd are likely to be infidels. In Gadget and TechCrunch report that some of the depraved inspiration has been delivered through dormant Twitter accounts ISIS hijacked. Twitter has now suspended those hijacked accounts. Bail is being sought for Paul Whelan, charged with spying by Russia's FSB. The FSB says the dual U.S.-British citizen received a USB drive containing a roster of personnel at a secret Russian institution. According to various Russian news sources, Whelan received the dongle from a Russian citizen at his hotel, with FSB agents bursting in moments later to arrest him. What happened to his alleged Russian confederate isn't known. Whelan's background is unusual. He's a senior security manager at Borg Warner, which is a large company with operations in many countries, but Russia is not among them. He has visited Russia before, and he's said to have been active in the Vukontaktya, the Russian social network. He's an ex-Marine, a former staff sergeant who twice deployed to Iraq, but who was also given a bad conduct discharge by a court-martial in 2008 for what military court records characterized as attempted larceny, three specifications of dereliction of duty, making a false official statement wrongfully using another's social security number, and 10 specifications of making and uttering checks without having sufficient funds in his account. The court-martial would seem to make him an unlikely candidate for recruitment by U.S. intelligence services. But then it would also seem to make him an unlikely candidate for a good security job at Borg Warner. Yet that's the job he has. It's an odd case. Whelan seems to be, at least, a bit of a Russophile, and his interest in Russian culture, which many people in many places share, may have put him in harm's way as an easy target of opportunity for Moscow's security organs. 
The circumstances of the arrest do indeed sound like something consistent with provocation. Most observers think Whelan's arrest is a Russian move to bargain for a spy swap with the U.S., and indeed seems the likeliest explanation on the basis of what's known so far. For now, he's still being held, and his Russian defense attorneys say he seems to be bearing up as well as can be expected. Both the U.S. and British consulates are in touch with the Russian government over the case. And finally, there's a pause in the campaign to get people to follow PewDiePie. The fans responsible, whose hacker names are Hacker Giraffe and Juicer, have represented themselves as white hats, honest vigilantes showing the unskilled and unaware that their Chromecasts are hijackable by, well, hijacking those Chromecasts. Anywho, no doubt after the night of unquiet sleep, possibly made even more unquiet by overindulgence in Tide Pods, Hacker Giraffe awakened to the realization that he had been transformed into something that felt, quote, burned and roasted, awaiting my maybe-coming end, quote. Mr. Giraffe has therefore now exited the social media spaces he formerly cumbered, suggesting to Motherboard that he never meant any harm, and regretting that he spooked people so badly they began sending him death threats. We're with him on the death threats, nobody should get those, but we won't miss the invitations to chicken dinner with Mr. Pie either. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use. With zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And joining me once again is Justin Harvey. He's the Global Incident Response Leader at Accenture. Justin, it's great to have you back. Uh, Happy New Year. Uh, It is time to talk about what you are looking forward to in 2019. What can you share with us? Well, I'm looking forward to, to companies and organizations improving their cyber defense posture. 
maybe I should be the Grinch here uh, <laughs> All right. uh, and say uh, uh, there will be attack. There will be more vicious attacks. But uh, I think that the best advice I can give to companies is to do the basics and, and to follow best practices wherever and whenever possible. There have been a lot of cases out uh, in the past year where adversaries have uh, have preyed upon uh, some of the most basic of practices, like uh, business email compromise is a good example of sending uh, fake login pages to people and having them log in. That's that's not related to malware at all. We know that that malware uh, is out there and it will get worse and worse. And we know there are zero days, but it's all about what you can do today and do well. Things like uh, having an EDR solution. So endpoint detection and response capability, not only on your servers, but your workstations, your laptops, so you can do hunting and get valuable telemetry consumed within your SIM. Uh, another basic uh, is to pressure test your cyber defense program. Uh, many times uh, people think, well, I've got an incident response plan, I'm doing penetration and vulnerability testing, I'm done, right? And the answer is no. You really need to pressure test in a live fire situation to determine if your incident response program and team is up to snuff. Uh, and you can do that through the use of red teams and adversary simulation. So uh, that is essentially tying together uh, multiple vulnerabilities and having humans perform those attacks to see if you're ready. Another basic that companies need to have is a diverse and unique threat intelligence uh, partnership. So uh, not just getting uh, threat intelligence feeds from a bunch of providers, but pick one that has a strategic uh, threat intelligence capability. And what I mean by strategic is being able to consume and hear about the, the latest threats facing their industry or geography. A lot of companies miss that. They think, well, I, I'm getting all of the feeds in. I get all the news. When there's a zero day, I'm done, right? And the answer is there are unique attacks and adversaries that target certain industries and certain geographies, and it's very helpful uh, to have that insight. Uh, and the last basic that I have to give to companies for 2019 is an obvious one, multi-factor. Hmm. Uh, you'd be surprised about how many cases over the last year that my team has run where a company hasn't had multi-factor and they've been hit by things like business email compromise. So having multi-factor, not just on your administrators, not just on on your users, but even sometimes um, and, and many times for your customers as well. You know, I think uh, 2018, we saw, in terms of trends, we saw the rise of crypto mining. Is there anything in particular for 2019 that you think is going to bubble up for us? Uh, only time will tell, Dave. Yeah. I think that, uh, you know, my personal opinion is leading up to the uh, 2020 election, I think for organizations that uh, that have candidate-worthy data, I think that there will be more and more politically-backed cyber attacks and leaks. And what's going to be interesting is to see, based upon uh, Julian Assange's um, possible extradition or possible release if he starts to get involved again with the WikiLeaks or if there are more sites that are going to pop up that uh, are able to dump information like that. Hmm. All right, Justin Harvey, thanks for joining us. My guest today is Ken Modeste. 
He's director of digital health at UL, Underwriters Laboratories. For UL's Cybersecurity Assurance Program, Ken leads their efforts establishing and promoting standards that address security concerns in network-connected products and systems. We've started since 1894 in Chicago, the World's Trade Fair. Um, so that's 120-plus years. Really, that's when, when you started seeing a lot of um, industrialization occurring and the Industrial Revolution that really started driving um, expansion in, in, in the globe. And so because of that, electricity was becoming fairly mainstream, and, and UL as an organization uh, was working towards public safety and helping manufacturers um, provide safe products so that consumers can use them. And over the last 100-plus years, that's what we've been doing. However, now in the 21st century, what the, the way how I look at it is, you know, safety has had um, a long time to build up good practices, to build up good expectations from consumers, and to build up uh, educational streams where today, if you come out of college, you know how to build a safe product most of the times. You know what you need to do from an electronics perspective. Um, when you buy something today, you buy a smartphone, you buy a smart tablet, a TV, it doesn't go to your head that this thing is going to catch on fire or electrocute you. You automatically take that for given. And UL has been one of the fundamental organizations that has had that happen over the last 100 plus years. So I like to call safety the adult in the room and cybersecurity the, the baby. Cybersecurity is where safety was last century, at the beginning of last century. That's where it is today. And cybersecurity, when you really consider it and you look at it now with connectivity, cybersecurity is sort of um, a, a major part and element to safety. Today, when you think of safety, it's not only about firing, uh, so, something catching on fire, electrocuting you because you assume that's there. It's now about, is it secure? Is my data secure on it? Is my privacy secure on it? Can it prevent someone from coming in and maliciously trying to take control and do something nefarious remotely? And so cybersecurity is a, is, is a big part of safety for the century. And UL being a public safety company has, has been approaching this since from the 1990s, late 1990s, to ensure that we continue to deliver um, the abilities and support the, the capabilities for safety from a public perspective. So take us through what's going on here with your efforts. You have your cybersecurity assurance program. Can you describe to us uh, what is that and how do you interact with the folks who are in industry? Cybersecurity assurance program, or what we call ULCAP, you know, we started looking at this about six, seven years ago. Um, as we know, 2007, the advent of, of, of smartphones and smart tablets really started a massive explosion of IoT. Um, it, it was a trickle for the first year, second year, and now you're seeing some significant trends. And what that means is, uh, you know, now you're going to see more and more connected products. You think of your door lock now. You know, the door lock used to be just something, you know, physical with a key. Now I have door locks with batteries in it and, and that are connected to the cloud. And so as we started looking at more and more of the products that are on the marketplace today and more of them having connectivity and IoT, um, that whole concept of safety that I mentioned now involving security and expanding the concept of safety, we started taking a look and saying, how will you, how do you need to, to move forward to provide that assurance for the consumers? And the consumer being you and I, or um, you know, organizations as they buy for stuff that they're putting into their organization. So we started that process by looking at all the best practices out there, 
we got together with folks from the U.S. government, from academia, and some select folks that we knew, and we spent some time trying to identify what are all the things that are that are out there, how are they used, um, and the value they're providing. And one of the things we really um, hit on is yeah, the majority of security flaws and security um, incidents happen with software and products, whether it's a, a software product like a mobile app or a cloud system, or whether it's a, like that smart lock that I mentioned, or a smart camera that's running software or firmware on it. And we said if we provided requirements around how to assess and evaluate software and products, we can have it where it covers a lot of different type of IoT um, markets. And the reason why we wanted to have it where you can assess it is because there's a lot of standards out there that tell people how to design something. There's a lot of standards out there that tell folks how to um, do a secure design process in their organization or how to assess an organization. Think of ISO 27000 around. One has been around for quite some time. And so that's what we built around some standards, 2900 series of standards. But we also recognize that the majority of the industry wasn't mature enough to accept these standards and, and be able to comply with them immediately. So we have something called, a, you know, I like to call it the ABCs of cyber. Um, and this typically happens in the industry. When you have new specifications coming out, you think of Bluetooth as an example, you think of Zigbee as an example, you think of some of the new um, IoT um, technologies like MQTT, you come up with a, a specification for a protocol or some type of thing. Most folks need to first get an understanding, uh, some kind of advice on how to, how to design and build it. Then they usually need some mechanism to benchmark. So advice is how you help them, you guide them, you do workshops, um, you, you do some training, um, you explain to them what's out there and what's applicable for them. You benchmark, basically you go out there and, and, and help them by start doing testing on what they have, start providing them with guidance on the specification. And, and some folks stop there. You know, you've heard of pen testing. Some folks stop at pen testing and they need some kind of guideline for repeatable and reproducible. And then ultimately the C and the A, B, and C advise benchmark, the C is certification, where in some industries it helps to have a, a model where a third party like UL has gone through and evaluated an entire product or family or suites of products and certified that they comply with this standard. So the UL Cybersecurity Assurance Program overall is, is how we approach cyber when it comes to the safety of the 21st century. And we've built some models in there around um, 2900 as our series of standards, other series of standards, but holistically looking at how to help the manufacturer, manufacturers today um, design and build in security into their products. UL is an independent third-party organization. We've been operating for a long time, like I said, 100 plus years, and we're a trusted partner for both manufacturers for both the asset owners or procurers of that, and ultimately for the consumer like you and I. And one of the things that I, I want to point out is that, you know, we believe that cybersecurity is a foundation that you have to keep building on. There is no one magic pill. There is no one magic process. And UL isn't saying that everything that we do um, will completely solve this, the cybersecurity problem. What we are saying is we're presenting a possible solution as a foundation to build upon over time. And ultimately, what we want to do is exactly what happened in the last century. In the last century, um, safety wasn't comparable in the 60s as it was to the 20s and 30s. And industry and consumers overall have to look at 
driving cybersecurity trends based on what their expectations are and expecting foundational changes over time, but not expecting a quick magic bullet. That's Ken Modeste from UL. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.